Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people like you get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com slash singletracks to support the show and learn more. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to talk about e-bikes again. It's actually been more than two years since we talked about electric mountain bikes on a dedicated episode, which is kind of hard to believe, Uh, but clearly a lot has changed since the last time we talked about it. So we thought today would be a good time to discuss where things are in terms of electric mountain bike technology, uh, some of the regulations that address these new vehicles, and also talk about sort of rider opinions on electric mountain bikes. Let's start off talking about how electric mountain bikes have changed over the past couple of years. Seems like we're seeing a lot more of these mountain bikes. Have you guys noticed that recently? Yeah, I think these days it's easier to identify the brands that don't have an e-bike than those that do. Possibly the largest brand that's still anti-e-bike holdout is Santa Cruz. All the brands bigger than Santa Cruz, Trek, Giant, Specialized. Oh, shoot, I don't even know about Candale off the top of my head, but I assume Candale. They've, yeah. yeah, they have one. <laughs> Pretty much everybody's got an e-bike these days. Yeah, and Santa Cruz, though, they like to tout the fact that their parent company makes e-bikes, and so their parent company has basically told them, we'll make e-bikes so you guys don't have to. So really, they're, they're in the e-bike business, too. They're just not putting the Santa Cruz name on it. Right. <laughs> got to protect the cred. I, I would uh, I'd agree with, with most of that, Greg, but I would say that even small brands have e-bikes now, which is kind of surprising. If you look at uh, Orange Bikes out of the UK, Coman Saul, a consumer direct company, they both have e-bikes now, and they're definitely on the smaller end of the, the brand spectrum. I'd say one thing that hasn't changed is they're still really expensive. Just looking at uh, Specialized Turbo Levo, uh, their full suspension, which is more or less a stump jumper with a battery and motor on it, the base model runs 4500 bucks, and it appears that they've dropped their e-bike hardtail altogether. Trek does have a hardtail. That's 3500 bucks, and Giant has a full suspension. I think it's called the Full E or something like that, and that's 35 bucks. 3500 bucks as well. But yeah, not really seeing it. the prices come down yet. I guess it's not too surprising. They are still fairly new technology. Just anecdotally, I will say I haven't seen a couple of them out on the trails, but I have noticed a lot more people riding them around the city here in Atlanta. So uh, they have have become more a uh, viable commuting option, but obviously that's not e-mountain bikes. Most of these people are on some sort of city hybrid type bike, but I, I see tons of them daily, basically. In addition to seeing more and more e-bikes, I think the number one thing we're also seeing with these newer breeds of e-bikes is better integration of the entire like battery and motor package into the bicycle frame itself. Like back in the day when we did our first e-bike podcast, it was pretty easy to spot one. You know, there's like a big bolt-on battery, it sort of threw the motor in near the bottom bracket, and bam, you've got an e-bike. These days, everything is 
much more streamlined on the really nice models to the point where sometimes it's difficult to spot one unless you really know what you're looking for. So that's one of the bigger um, advancements we've seen recently. Yeah. You know, while we are seeing more people riding electric bikes and uh, electric mountain bikes specifically, we've done some surveys recently and seen that really we're only looking at like one to 2% of riders here in the USA anyway, that own an electric mountain bike. And that number has been growing pretty quickly. I think we looked at it year over year from like last year to this year. And there was a 30% jump, but that just means it went from like 1% to 1.3%. So still not talking about big numbers, but you know, if that growth rate continues, then next year when we talk about this, it'll be a lot more people that are owning electric mountain bikes. Yeah. I mean, part of, I know I've brought this up before, but I just don't, I don't know how big the market is for e-bikes overall. Cause like I said, they're, they're really expensive and there's still kind of murky on where and when you can ride them. So I just don't see that many riders plopping down $3,500 for an entry level e-bike, uh, when you could get a, you know, mid-level full suspension, uh, with decent components for that much money. And, you know, you can ride it anywhere. One thing kind of maybe with the, the, slightly increased acceptance of e-bike i would say maybe we're seeing a little less vitriol in the comments whenever we post something about e-bikes don't get me wrong it's still there the the people who are anti-e-bike are definitely still very much so in that camp but i think people are just getting used to hearing about them if they maybe aren't actually seeing them out on the trail one thing though that's kind of concerning to me uh is i see people making the same kind of arguments for e-bikes that the manufacturers have been making that they're they're just like a mountain bike and they're they're for riders who aren't as strong or physically fit or maybe have you know some sort of injury or disability that you know e-bikes will make everything better so i guess i guess that's advertising at work yeah definitely works all right let's talk a little bit more about how the bikes themselves have changed over the past year or two Starting with battery life, battery life is definitely a real constraint and a concern with mountain bikes, especially the ones that I think all of us have tested. And yeah, if you look at sort of the ranges that these bikes get, they're not super long ranges, but unfortunately, yeah, the battery life just hasn't seemed to have improved all that much over the last couple of years. Have you guys noticed the same thing? Yeah, so my most recent e-bike test was for commuting purposes. I live about 16 miles outside of town, and I was like, hey, is this a great way for me to commute like efficiently? But I found in my test that in my 16-mile ride, going one way from town back home, which includes about 1,400 feet of climbing and often a headwind, I would use about 95% of a full battery charge for that one-way return trip and about 90% without a headwind. So... Considering the fact that charging takes most of the day, effectively, it'd be impossible for me to ride an e-bike to town and go to the grocery store. Like, I was using it primarily for working, where I'd work for about, like, an eight-hour day in town. And if you do that, I could barely make it. But it's like, if I can only get 16 miles out of this, it's not super effective yet for what I need. Yeah, I mean, batteries are a problem in pretty much everything we own, right? Like, we all wish our phones would last all day. They can't even get that right. But yeah, imagine imagine how much battery you need to make a mountain bike go for as long as you want to go. It's definitely a big constraint. 
Yeah, we we got this press release, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago from Focus, and they were touting their new e-bike and how that they had set a new record crossing the Alps as Trans-Alp route. And so they sent over this press release, and they're all hurrah, hurrah. And he started looking at the details, and they had to change their batteries 20 times in 250 miles. So that's about once every hour they had to swap the battery. So that means... They had some support along the way. Obviously, these two guys weren't carrying 20 batteries with them. <laughs> they, they wouldn't have made it very far. So it's just, it's still not really, if you're only getting 12 miles of single track out of a battery, like that's, that's not awesome. I mean, no one's going to carry even just one spare battery pack. Cause I mean, imagine taking the battery pack out of your laptop and then find like three of your friends' laptops and grab their batteries too. And that's about the size of an e-bike battery. It's really heavy. And besides being heavy, they're going to be cumbersome. I mean, you wouldn't want this thing in your pack. Like if you crashed or something, that's just, that's a terrible scenario. So I, I, I don't know if they're, the battery technology needs to improve a lot if they're going to be like a real feasible type of transportation for, for trails. You know, maybe if you're riding a local system and you buy a second battery and you keep it in your car and you do a couple laps and then come back and swap out the battery, maybe that's a little more realistic scenario. But then you got to figure that the battery is going to be one of the most expensive components on this bike. You're probably looking at a few hundred dollars, if not more, just for the battery itself. Uh, actually, I looked into this for my e-bike test. Around $1,000 for the battery on that e-bike. Shoo. So. Not, not cheap. Yeah. And, and like we said, the battery technology is, it's pretty mature. You know, that nobody is making big breakthroughs in batteries. I looked to see if over the last few years, any e-bike companies had, you know, talked up some big innovation they had with their batteries. And the only thing I could find was a company, I think it was Bosch said, you know, one of their new systems got 50% more range, but that's because they made the battery 50% bigger. <laughs> right. So it's, yeah. you're not, you know, I mean, you can go as far as you want, but you just need a bigger and bigger battery. Um, and unfortunately that is a constraint that probably won't be lifting anytime soon. You know, I would guess we're seeing maybe 5% increases every year. I mean, I'm just pulling that off the top of my head, but just based on what I've seen with smartphones and other things. So yeah, let's not get our hopes up about that. Yeah, I, you can s- just see how big these batteries are. I mean, they take up, most of these bikes, they mount the battery um, either on top of the down tube, uh, if it's a, a maybe a less expensive model. And then like Greg was saying, the integration com- Im- has improved a lot. So you're seeing the companies integrate these batteries into the down tube. And you look at these down tubes and they're like four or five times the size of uh, like a typical mountain bike down tube would be. And that's to house that, house that huge, huge battery. So again, it's just not, not really practical to have a spare on you. Right. And when we're a long way, if ever, uh, from getting to the point where an electric bike weighs anything close to a regular mountain bike. So those two will, will be distinctly different, um, at least in terms of weight, probably forever. So that's one thing to keep in mind. So beyond the batteries, though, the motors themselves actually do seem to be improving. I tested four of the major drive systems on the market today out at Sea Otter last year, or actually that was this year. You know, there's Broza, Yamaha, Shimano, and Bosch each make their own drivetrain motor systems for bikes. And different bike companies are using different motors. Some companies, some bike brands actually offer models with different 
drivetrains on them. So you could buy a bike from Bulls, for example, with either a Yamaha or a Shimano. Point is, there are a lot of competing designs out there, and they are getting better. They're becoming more responsive. They're quieter. They're getting the controls dialed in a little bit better, so it's easier to you know, flip between modes and see how much juice you have left. So on that front, the motors definitely do seem to be getting better and competition seems to be, you know, pushing everybody to do a better job in that regard anyway. One thing that's rare, but we're seeing a little bit of are bike brands actually creating their own motor drivetrain systems. I believe Rocky Mountain did this with their recent e-bike, but that's the only example I know of off the top of my head. So it'd be interesting to see long-term if more and more people are dissatisfied with the other bolt-on options and decide to go that route too. Well, they are, I mean, they are, they're not exactly bolt-on options. I guess they're just more stock options because you still do have to design the entire frame around whatever motor you choose. I think something to think about, which I just, I just thought of right now is like maintenance on these things. I don't know what kind of like maintenance intervals or what maintenance an electric motor requires. I assume it's fairly minimal, but where where do you take that when something breaks on it? Yeah, I mean it would be minimal if, you know, you're looking at a I don't know, a motor in something that's not being ridden through the dirt and the mud and water and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the maintenance works out on these motors in the long term. I could be making this up, but I believe Bosch is already doing um basically like mechanic courses on this stuff so you can be a Bosch certified uh, maintenance shop. And some uh, bike shops are selling these systems, are choosing to get certified because they're like, well, we got to support these bikes, you know? So yeah. now you've got bike shops working on electric motors. So that's Got to go get a degree in electrical engineering <laughs> before you can apply. Yeah, so we touched on this a little bit a couple times already, but the let's talk about how the bikes themselves are changing, sort of the designs and the components and that kind of thing. What have you guys seen over the last couple of years? Well, some of them have definitely improved in the integration and aesthetics department, but there's still a whole bunch of pretty gross-looking e-bikes out there, honestly. <laughs> I think the the giant full e might might be in the a front runner for the current ugliest bike in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, they they didn't really do a good job with the integration on that one and uh like I was saying earlier the the down tube on it is it's it's huge. It's like it's like the size of your leg basically. It's <laughs> it's gigantic. It looks it just looks heavy. Um and I actually weighed one at Outer bike this year and it maxed out the scale which was 55 pounds. So it was at least 55 pounds for for their full e well yeah that's a lot of bike another thing we're seeing with e-bikes are a lot of support from component manufacturers across the board making more robust components for the increased weight and speed that these bikes are traveling at we were talking tires suspension brakes drivetrains and even uh, saddles and grips and handlebars and components you might not considered needing an e-bike specific component but companies are making them on some of the stuff like an e-bike saddle i'm not sure exactly how much of that is you know manufacturing and marketing but you know i gotta think there's probably not a lot they're doing different for e-bike grips or bars or anything like that they're just trying to trying to ride the wave of e-bike kind of like enduro like having an enduro saddle or enduro handlebar right 
I will say, um, yeah, definitely the uh, the suspension companies are getting on board with this. Like Fox, for instance, they have e-bike specific versions of their 34 and 36 trail forks, and they've got added material and high stress areas. So basically, it's a, a stiffer, stouter, heavier chassis because the bikes are heavier. It doesn't look like RockShox is doing anything e-bike specific just yet, but they do have revised air pressure guidelines for your e-bikes, which basically means you need to run more air pressure on an e-bike. Right. Well, let's talk about some of our recent experiences riding e-bikes. Greg, you and I rode some first-generation e-bikes at Interbike. Shoot, it was probably three, four years ago, maybe longer. Uh, Have you had a chance to get on any new bikes since then? I've ridden a few since then, but I haven't actually ridden an e-mountain bike in the last like year or so. So I'm a bit behind on that part. Um, my latest e-bike test was, again, that one for commuting purposes on pavement earlier this year. And mainly working on speeds and ranges and battery life and um, things like that. So that's most of what I've done recently. Yeah, and Aaron, you rode an e-bike for the first time this year. What did you think about it? Oh, man. It was... A ride. It was not, uh, it was not particularly impressive. Again, you know, this was at, um, it was a sea otter. It was a very small loop, uh, closed course kind of situation. But, uh, I'm sure that had something to do with it. But, um, I, I just got bored really quick. Again, it could have been because it was a short loop, but the power kicks on kind of weird. Like when you pedal, there's a slight delay and then the motor kicks in. So there's kind of, it feels like there's this little bit of slop in the cranks. I suppose if you rode that all the time, you kind of get used to it out on the trail. But it just felt like a really heavy, heavy bike. It was hard to get off the ground, like bunny hop or anything. So yeah, I just wasn't like, yeah, it didn't, it didn't open my eyes. I know a lot of, a lot of people have ridden e-bikes and they just, they're like game changers for them for some reason. But I just didn't, didn't have that feeling about them. And you know, I, I am personally like, I don't really, I, I personally, I don't care for e-bikes, but like, I don't really care if anyone else is riding them. So I didn't go into it with this like really firm anti e-bike stance, like thinking I was going to hate it. I feel like I went in with a fairly open mind and I rode it and I was just like, eh, like that's, I wouldn't spend my money on one. Yeah. I'm like you. I, a lot of people will say that, yeah, they'll get on a e-bike for the first time and they'll be like, wow, that was a lot of fun. That's, you know, game changer for me. And I have to say the first time I rode an e-bike three or four years ago, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And I was like, huh, this is fun. But then I remember I, I had the same feeling about fat bikes. And it's it's definitely different. And, you know, it's the first few times you do it, it's fun. But then I rode, I rode a ton of e-bikes at Sea Otter this year. And it, like, I guess maybe the novelty wore off or something. But this time I just, it wasn't as much fun. You know, it was kind of just like kind of boring, kind of, you know, I knew what to expect at that point And also just realized it wasn't for me. Like Aaron said, the bikes were just a little bit too heavy. Felt like, you know, felt like I was, I was riding a, for lack of a better term, a Walmart bike. And it just was easier to pedal than a normal Walmart bike. Um, because the suspension just wasn't dialed. The, um, components, you know, it seems like some of these companies have to skimp on the components to keep the prices even halfway reasonable because you think about it, you're adding this huge battery and a motor to a bike, which, you know, has a lot of expense to it. Like you said, Greg, the battery alone 
you know, maybe that's a thousand bucks of the bike. So the companies right now, they're tending to skimp on a lot of the other components. And that for me takes a lot of the fun out of the ride. But I will say that the, the motors are definitely improved. They're getting more responsive to Aaron's point. Some are more responsive than others. I think the Broza was probably my favorite of the motors. It just seemed to be more natural. You didn't feel it kind of cutting on and off, which definitely can harsh your ride out. But still, yeah, the battery life is disappointing. I think I might have mentioned it before, but, you know, I got real like range anxiety when I was out testing some of these bikes where I found myself just staring at the battery gauge the whole time because I was like, if this thing runs out, man, I'm you don't not, want to pedal. It. <laughs> I do not want to pedal it back. And, you know, trying to, yeah, trying to strategize your whole ride based on your battery, it just takes a lot of the fun out of it. And, and I, I just, it's just not for me. So, yeah, I think I was on the, I think I was on a Bosch motor, but there's definitely a very noticeable delay and then kick on. And then when you stop pedaling, you can feel the motor kick off. So it was just, very apparent that you're not riding a, a mountain bike. Yeah. But some of those things, like we said, those will improve as technology gets more mature and as other people enter the market. All right. Up next, after the break, we're going to talk about current e-bike regulations and how those have changed in the last year or two. And we'll also talk about mountain bikers' opinions of e-bikes and how those have changed. Stay tuned. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for mountain bikers. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. Hey Jeff, how's your son Reed liking his little big bike? Taking him out on any single track yet? He's loving it. At four years old, it's really awesome to see how he naturally just wants to like session new stuff over and over again until he figures it out. We're not out on the trails much yet, but it's only a matter of time. I bet they grow up so fast. So it sounds like fun. It is. But having a kid is also a big responsibility. When we had our first child, Leah and I started looking into life insurance for the first time, and it was a little overwhelming. Fortunately, Health IQ makes the process fairly easy, and their fitness quizzes are kind of fun. Sort of like calling up one of your riding buddies for a hookup. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash singletracks and be sure to mention the promo code singletracks when you talk to one of their helpful agents. Okay, so one of the big parts of the e-bike debate that's currently going on within the mountain bike community is around regulations and, and how e-bike access impacts access for regular mountain bikes. Greg, tell us a little bit about the state of federal regulations as they pertain to electric mountain bikes. In short, the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service are currently interpreting all e-bikes, any e-bike with a motor on it, as a motor vehicle and restricting them to trails and roads that are also open to motor vehicles and banning them from non-motorized trails. This has actually been around for quite some time now. It hasn't gotten a ton of press, uh, but the BLM uh, in 2015 issued a letter to their various districts saying that's how they're interpreting it. The U.S. Forest Service did something similar in 2016, and uh, basically that's where it currently still stands. But that's not to say you can't ride single track on an e-bike, because in a lot of places on the Bureau of Land Management land and the Forest Service land, there's motorcycle legal single track. We've got hundreds of miles of it around Salida, so there's still plenty of single track trails that are open to e-bikes. That's currently where they stand. 
possibility that could change in the future, but movement sometimes is slow. Yeah. And it's worth noting too, for those who aren't really aware, the U.S. Forest Service and the BLM manage a ton of land in the U.S. And honestly, some of the best trails that I know of in the country are located mostly on Forest Service land, uh, which, so, which means that if you're riding an e-bike, you are shut out of a lot of really great trails currently. The other thing that we're seeing lately is that EMBA and local mountain bike clubs and land managers are taking their own nuanced approach to the definition of electric mountain bikes. Greg, can you talk a little bit about that and how that's going? So we're seeing in a few different states in the nation, California was one of the first ones, Utah's already on board, and I think there's another one or two more recently, but we're seeing a lot of states uh, being more nuanced by classifying e-bikes into different categories. And generally there's class one, two, and three. And most of what we're talking about right now are class one e-bikes. And those are e-bikes that are pedal assist only, meaning there's no throttle option. Uh, and they're usually limited to a certain speed or output. And that can vary a bit depending on what nation or state you're in. But that's a class one e-bike. So we're seeing some of these states classify class one e-bikes as bicycles, which essentially is allowing them access to some single track trails in some areas, bike paths, which is by far the primary intention of a lot of these legislations uh, and different things like that. But IMBA's gotten on board and is basically saying, hey, you're going to classify a class one e-bike as a bicycle? Like, fine. We don't care, basically. It's my takeaway or some summation of that approach. So we're seeing some change and I guess some of this nuance is good, right? Because you, you do have different types of e-bikes. You do have e-bikes where you can twist a throttle and go 45 miles an hour, and that's not what we're talking about here. So bringing some common sense into it seems to be good to me. Yeah, I was surprised when I had a conversation with a member of the Tar Hill Trailblazers in Charlotte recently about e-bikes. I guess I was hoping to sort of catch them in like a gotcha journalism moment, but I was asking them, <laughs> I was asking them if electric mountain bikes were allowed on the trails at the Whitewater Center. Uh, there was like a demo event going on and, you know, a lot of companies have brought electric bikes and people were riding them out there on the trails. And so I asked sort of an, an older gentleman who was part of the club if electric bikes were allowed there. And he said, yes. And so I said, aha, well, what about motorized vehicles? Do you guys let motorcycles ride out here? He said, no. And I said, well, isn't an e-bike a motorized vehicle? And he said, not really. We got <laughs> and so it turns out that they had, you know, kind of come up with their own definition, you know, semantics aside, they said, look, an electric mountain bike is not the same as a motorcycle. Yes, they both have motors, but who cares what we're calling them? We have decided that electric mountain bikes are compatible with the trail use that, you know, we want to designate here and it's not a big deal. And, and this guy, he had an electric bike and he had a regular bike and he said, you know, I ride one of them, you know, when I'm feeling like it and I ride the other one when I'm feeling like that one. So, uh, it, it just opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, while some of us in the media and, you know, maybe even in our conversations with friends, we get caught up in the semantics of it all. And, you know, we, we think we're all like armchair lawyers or policy makers. But at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to these local decisions about what people think are compatible uses with their trails. And that's what EMBA's starting to recognize. That's what local clubs are recognizing. And so 
it seems like that's kind of the way forward, at least for now. So as more and more people start adopting electric mountain bikes, you guys think we'll see any grassroots efforts to get electric mountain bikes better access? Grassroots? I guess I'm just really skeptical about the idea of a grassroots campaign because, again, we talked about 1% to 2% adoption rate uh, in the U.S., I guess I'm getting a little cynical. I mean, we're talking like um, lobbying, like law change, you know, corporate money being used to like influence the law. I mean, it's the same thing that we see with oil lobby and um, NRA lobby. I mean, I just think we're seeing e-bike manufacturers are going to be funding their money towards people that are going to do and create laws that they want. So I get cynical about all that crap. Yeah. What do you think about though at the local level? I mean, do you think, you know, some guy or a couple of guys get electric mountain bikes and they start, you know, talking to their local club or land manager and saying, Hey, is it cool if we ride these here? Do you, do you think there's a potential that maybe it'll come from the local level instead of top down from the federal level where you're right? You know, it's mostly corporate interests and things like that. That's a good question. Possibly. I think. I think on the local level, you're just going to see people buying e-bikes and just riding them and not giving a, a flying flip who <laughs> right. cares about it or what the legality is. Like I think that's more likely than people buying a bike and then advocating for their use like in a legal and right. well-reasoned way. Yeah. Because we're gen- in general, like the number of advocates for mountain biking, which is well-established, is very minimal. I mean you can even look at – IMBA membership and like how low that is versus the total number of mountain bikers and even IMBA members, that doesn't mean they're like actively advocating for mountain bike access. You know, we need more mountain bike advocates and there are millions of mountain bikers in the U S. So just thinking about like that percentage and how minor it is. And then looking at the percentage of e-bike owners and how minor that is, you know, right. Yeah. How many, it's, it's rough. The number of people that own e-bikes is tiny and then the number of people that are going to advocate on the behalf of e-bikes has got to be a tiny fraction of that tiny fraction. So we're talking about a pretty minuscule constituency here. I mean, people are just starting now starting to care about what mountain bikers have to say. And our sport's been around for 40 years. So I don't, I don't know. I, I think you'll, you know, maybe it'll come from both directions. It will be the people that, Maybe they are interested in, maybe, maybe they're, you know, there are like dedicated mountain bikers now and they're like, I'm getting older. I can't keep up with my buddies. And, you know, these e-bikes do look like a good way that I could, I'm buying in, I'm buying into all this marketing material that I'm seeing. I'm interested in getting an e-bike and maybe they're already involved in their local chapter, their local trail club. And then, so I think some of it will start from there. You know, they'll say like, Hey, you know, I want to get an e-bike next year. Like, can I ride it at my local trail system? And if I can't, maybe. We can work something out so we can change the rules where they are allowed. But I think you also will see a lot of stuff coming from the top down uh, because that's where the change would probably happen faster. At least that's what uh, I would think the e-bike manufacturers would want it that way because that would increase the rate of adoption. Yeah. And like you said, Greg, a lot of people are just, you know, they're buying an e-bike and they're not asking the question or advocating. They're just riding nope. them on the trails. But <laughs> that's been, that's what I've yeah. seen so far. I mean, like I said, I haven't run into a ton of e-bikes out in the wild, but the ones I've seen are definitely, they, they, they're just riding their bike because they just spent $5,000 yeah. on a bike. They're not going to, they're, they're not going to worry about where they can ride it. Right. I would point out a parallel then to smartphones, you know, big companies, they had no interest in smartphones at all. You know, every company issued Blackberries and, 
you know, whatever ridiculous tech was available then. But then people started bringing iPhones to work. You know, they didn't ask permission. You know, they were hacking them so they could get onto the corporate network and all kinds of stuff. And finally, the companies just had to say, all right, fine, we'll figure out what these smartphone things are about and we'll start allowing them. At least from my perspective, it seems like that might be what's going on in places where there isn't already a blanket ban in effect. You know, people are just showing up with them and there don't seem to be any problems. So, you know, they're being allowed now. Uh, maybe that's more like the Uber strategy, right? We'll just show up in a town yeah. and they're like, we're here. Yeah. Deal with it. Disrupted. Yeah. <laughs> so just riffing off of that, I think another good example potentially is uh, drones and drone manufacturers because there's a lot of regulations on drones all over the nation already. But you don't see the drone manufacturers being like, oh, you can't fly your drone over here. They just want to sell as many drones as possible. <laughs> you know? So right. I don't know. And the, and then people buying their drones are like, heck, I'm just going to go fly my drone. Ain't yeah. nobody yep. care. Yep. About so. that drone life. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so one final area of regulation within mountain biking is racing. So obviously electric mountain bikes aren't allowed in races, though some people have tried to sneak them in there, at least that we're aware of in cyclocross, but I'm sure it's happening in mountain biking. You guys want to talk a little bit about electric bikes and racing. I heard that Bosch started their own electric mountain bike series of races. I tried to think of something dumber than e-bike racing, but alas. Drone racing. I, hey, drone racing looks pretty cool. I think <laughs> that if, happens in three dimensions, at least. That's you right. Know, you get like, to wear goggles. and. Yeah. What about those battle robots that like try to destroy each other? I mean, these aren't good examples. Because they're, cause they're awesome. They're yeah, more exactly. awesome than That's electric what I'm mountain biking. Okay, yeah. fair enough. I don't know. I think it's really dumb. But maybe maybe it would be interesting if you could somehow determine everyone's average power and then adjust all the power outputs of the bikes so everyone was on a late, uh, level playing field, You know, kind of like they do in, I guess, like NASCAR or something where every, there's really tight restrictions on, on like aerodynamics and, um, you know, horsepower and all that sort of stuff. So it's really just supposed to be who the best driver is. Maybe if you could do that with e-bikes, it could just be who the best rider is. So they'll take into account your like power to weight ratio, tune everybody's bikes, and then it'd be like, maybe yeah, that could be cool. Person yeah, it's win. about handling and strategy and yeah. all that stuff. Line choice. I noticed too on the Bosch website, they use the word driver instead of rider <laughs> when they're talking about e-bikes, like not just mount, e mountain bikes, but just all their electric bike stuff, commuters, whoever. You're not a rider anymore. You're a driver. Well, I mean, really, if you're, you don't just ride a bike passively if it doesn't have a motor either. Just, yeah. Makes, we, we it, should all just say we drive. We're bikes. bike drivers. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just don't understand. I, I, it's just a marketing tool for them, right? I mean, this isn't like a real thing. Because if you think you, it could be, uh, if you did it like the way I said, maybe. But otherwise, it's just going to be the strongest person is just going to win by even more, right? I mean, if you take right, like, it's just faster. But yeah, it's still the same. Like if you put Nino Scherter on an e-bike and me on an e-bike, Nino Scherter is still going to smoke me, right? <laughs> like so, like who cares? That doesn't that doesn't prove anything. Well, here's. What I wonder is if e-bikes and their limiters, because there's a limiter on all of them, are basically attaining like pretty close to what you said at first. Like, because I found on an e-bike on flat ground, like on pavement, like I can max out like that motor. Like I can easily get that. Going uphill, I can 
uh, on an e-bike in my test, I could get like something like two thirds of, of my max speed. It, for me, I was like, all right, well, if I was actually like in shape and like a Nino Scherter, I could easily see the Nino Scherters of the world maxing out their e-bike, like going up any hill and like hitting that limiter, which means if you've got enough people that are in decent shape and everybody's seeing that limiter, you're getting sort of close to where you're at. But that sounds a little bit boring to me, honestly. It's like, all right, yeah. everybody's going around the course at the same speed. Like, meh. You're just waiting for a crash. It's just like NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so we talked about how the bikes have changed over the last few years. And we just finished talking about the regulations on electric mountain bikes, especially here in the United States. So let's finish up by talking about how rider opinions on electric mountain bikes are shifting. We surveyed our readers, the single tracks readers and podcast listeners to find out what they think about electric mountain bikes. And we found that support for electric mountain bikes is slowly gaining. It's not huge still at this point. I think we saw just under 80% of our readers are not interested in hearing about electric mountain bikes. Uh, but before that was above 80%. So we're seeing a change a little bit. What are some of the arguments people are making against electric mountain bikes right now? I think the number one argument against e-bikes um, right now from the mountain bike crowd is the trail access one, which we've spent a lot of time talking about. But the main issue is that mountain bikers for many, many years have been lumped in with the motorcycle crowd to our detriment. And we've lost a lot of access because we've been equated with motorcycles and some of the hiker groups have basically said we've caused the same amount of damage as a motorcycle, which is not true. Um, but now you add a motor to your bike, your bike is moving faster. It might be causing a little bit more damage. You're going to be meeting other trail users at higher rates of speed, especially when going uphill that can possibly cause a big issue. If you're calling these things mountain bikes, I think that's where the big rub is. It's like this thing exists. It's not an issue that this thing called an e-bike exists. Anybody can build whatever they want and buy whatever they want. But when you start saying it's the same thing as a mountain bike, a non-motorized mountain bike, then you start having issues. And when you start calling those things the exact same thing, you know, these, as the ass puts it, these are motorized off-road bicycles. So they're, it's not really a motorcycle as much as I'd like it to be one. It's not a mountain bike. It's something else. So in my opinion, it's like, all right, if you bikers want to form their own advocacy group, work on trail access, fine, so be it. But once you start having IMBA advocating for e-bikes and saying they're the mountain bike advocates and all of a sudden e-bikes are mountain bikes, and all of a sudden we have some serious issues that we got to overcome. Yeah, it seems like the access and advocacy issues are kind of the only thing that are left. You know, when electric mountain bikes first came out, there were a ton of arguments against them. Uh, but a lot of those have kind of fallen away because, you know, again, a lot of us realize, hey, even if electric mountain bikes aren't for me, they may be for somebody else. And, you know, who who are we to tell people what, you know, they can and can't ride? Kind of to your point, Greg, um, you know, anybody can build any kind of bike they want and they can ride it just as long as it doesn't affect other mountain bikers. And I think the advocacy side is sort of where there's the potential to have a ill effect on mountain biking. And so, yeah, a lot of people are rightfully sort of skeptical and, and want to be cautious about that. Yeah. Along those lines, I think a reason that a lot of mountain bikers like myself included are kind of skeptical is because we keep hearing from 
e-bike manufacturers that they're working behind the scenes, right? That they're doing all this stuff and they're like, oh, we've got that page on people for bikes that says like where you can ride e-bikes. But a lot of that info is either misleading or, you know, incomplete or just incorrect in a lot of ways. I mean, it's not necessarily their fault. I mean, it's hard to know every single trail system and every locale's like different regulations on e-bikes. But we, I just feel like we've heard nothing but lip service without seeing anything tangible from the brands. Like, what are you doing to make sure that e-bikes are not going to negatively impact mountain bike access? Um, so if anyone at a brand is out there listening, what are you guys doing? Let us know. Yeah, and Emba just recently updated their policy on electric bikes and effectively said the same thing. You know, they, they're not going to advocate directly for electric mountain bikes, uh, but they're also not going to oppose things that are allowing electric mountain bikes to ride on certain trails. So, I mean, I think that's smart, right? Because you only have so many resources and why spend, you know, these human resources and financial resources fighting against something else, just be like, yeah, like, look, they're their own thing. They exist. Like, let them figure it out. Like, we don't need to get involved with that. We'll spend our resources on what our mission is, which is to, you know, get more access for mountain bikers. Yeah, seems like a smart approach. Speaking about smart approaches, we think the single tracks approach to electric bikes is pretty smart, too. If not the smartest. Yes, so we've written a little bit about this, but um, just to share with our podcast listeners as well, we're a media outlet. You know, our job is to report on the mountain bike industry and talk about trends and how things are changing and new technologies. And so um, electric mountain bikes are right now, they are potentially part of mountain biking. That debate hasn't really been settled, you know, whether electric mountain bikes will end up being part of mountain biking or if they're going to be their own thing or if they're going to be part of motorsports. I mean, who knows? So we're committed to reporting on the developments within electric mountain biking. At this point, we're not, we haven't gone so far as to like, you know, want to review electric mountain bikes or anything like that, but we will continue to talk about what you think about mountain bikes and electric mountain bikes specifically and what is being done on the advocacy front as well. Um, we're not going to, we're not, basically we're not going to not talk about them. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, a lot of, a lot of the comments we get are, you know, if you guys ever talk about electric mountain bikes, I'm going to stop reading your articles. Well, you know, that's, we're not going to stop talking about them because they do exist. And if we don't talk about them, the only place people are going to hear about them is from the brands and the manufacturers. And, you know, not that they're evil corporations or anything, they have nefarious motives, but they just don't have the incentive to give sort of an unbiased view of what electric mountain bikes are about. So we're going to do our best to present that unbiased information about electric mountain bikes. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, what we do offer is, uh, relevant and, uh, informational and, you know, we're not just like posting press releases of every new e-bike because believe us, we get a lot of those in our inbox every week, uh, about some new, hardtail that has a motor on it and you know we we don't think that's very interesting ourselves so we think you uh, readers and listeners out there probably won't find it that interesting either so we're only reporting on the you know like jeff said the the bigger issues the overall trends and in in the bikes themselves and in access 
And, you know, maybe if one of us ever seizes an e-bike that we think is cool enough, we'll uh, actually want to test one. But I don't think that's happened for any of us quite yet. Yeah, and I'm going to continue to test ride them. You know, I'm, I may not write about those bikes that I ride and, you know, write full-on reviews or anything. But like we said, the technology is changing, and it's important to keep track of that and see, you know, if some of the issues are worked out over time. Because, yeah, it's important. And a lot of you are interested in electric mountain bikes and, you know, are considering should you get one or should you not. And so we want to at least give you all the information that you need to make that decision. Well, that's all we have for electric mountain bikes for the time being. I'm sure we'll have another episode in another couple of years once we see how things change and progress. If you want to keep up with the latest ongoing news about mountain biking, be sure to follow Single Tracks on your favorite social media channel. And also be sure to rate us on your favorite podcast service. We're all over the place. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. I think you can get us on Spotify. We're on TuneIn. Are we on Stitcher. SoundCloud? Uh, no, we're not on SoundCloud. Oh man, we're missing yeah, you have tons to, of people. You have to pay to put your stuff on there. Oh yeah, never mind. Okay. Nobody's on SoundCloud. Right. Don't use SoundCloud. Get us from all the free services. <laughs> That's right. And rate us there. Yes. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.